you guys get to hear from the one, the only campus pastor of the of our Wesley Chapel campus. Give it up for Pastor Eric Sue. Come on, double that. Twice as loud. He's amazing. Y'all don't know yet. Here we go. We're recording, right? Awesome. Here we go. This is the only thing going on our podcast this week. So you're speaking to the whole church. <laughs> always, always an honor to be able to preach God's word. And it's humbling because I, I think we're just so gifted by Caleb. Yeah? Let's just honor our senior leader. And by the way, I know that was a lot of announcements. And if you do not receive our newsletter, you can sign the connect card and, and click. Is there a box for newsletter? But I think if you do, yeah, put your email. You can get the newsletters and all the announcements. Every Wednesday we send out newsletters, and it's pretty good. So you get to know all that's happening in our Tampa campus or TRP Tampa. Thank you. And one more thing, just mark in your calendar. We'll have more details for you, but June 25th to 27th, there's Kids Revival. So the Sotolongos, um, they're hosting Kids Revival, Holy Spirit Kids Revival. And so we're going to have more details for you guys in, in this area. So it, they said it's for everybody. So pretty exciting. We'll have a flyer and we'll send that out or let you guys know. I was, uh, this morning was exciting. 30 churches. Our friends got baptized. We were worshiping together with thousands or over a thousand. And there's just the spirit of the Lord and we're worshiping. Because it was the day of the Pentecost. And it comes from our text today. But I was just catching up with some people on Facebook. And, and some people have indicated, I didn't even know what today was Pentecost Sunday. I didn't even know about Pentecost, right? And, and so I thought we can't just assume just because you come to church, you know the lingo of like Pentecost. So I'm, I'm just going to go through the very basics of the Pentecost. But you know, the day of Pentecost means different things for the ancient Jews to what it means for us today. For the Jewish people back then in the ancient times, they considered a feast. It was the 50th day after Passover. It was also known as the Feast of Harvest. So it was a big holiday where people, Jews from all over the world would pilgrimage back to J Jerusalem. Big feast, big holiday. But for us modern Christians, it means completely different things. The Pentecost was the day that we remember when God's Holy Spirit came upon the believers. The followers of the way in Jesus Christ, when his spirit came and it changed everything. The way people thought about God, the way they lived in God, the way they followed or knew about God altogether. Everything in the history of mankind completely changed. So tonight I'm going to look at that text. And what I want us to consider is what happened then and how the people responded. How the people responded was, now what? What must we do? What shall we do? What's the proper response? And for us to consider what they said as our response, then how shall we live? What shall we do today? Yeah? So let's start with prayer. I'm just, Father, thank you. 
thank you for your word. But we recognize it is not just about head knowledge that we seek, but, Lord, our heart and understanding of what you desire to teach your church to me. Make that your prayer, church. Put on your heart. Lord, teach me what your words mean. Teach me what the Pentecost ought to mean. Teach me what you're trying to convict through your spirit. Thank you, Lord, in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from the ESV. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You know, that, that is why we gathered together this morning. It was about unity. From the very beginning, the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, listened to what Jesus said, gathered together and say, we need to be together. We need to be praying. And the church was birthed from people coming together and praying together. And just a little side message. If you expect change in your life and you're not praying together as a church, maybe we're not doing church. Just a side note, right? God started the church when he heard God's people praying, being together and praying together. That's what birthed the church. And that's why we got together this morning. And it demonstrated unity of the body. 30 churches, wow. They didn't open up their buildings. They came. There was no messages. No pastor saying, hey, look at me. Not that any of our pastors do it. <laughs> but you know my point. It was about the unity of the body of Christ. And we said, and I think it might have been you. Some pastors said, it's about us being one church. And that's what we remember on the Pentecost. So continuing in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So if you hear a rushing wind, what do you think is happening? Typically, when you go outside and you hear a rushing wind, what do you think is happening? Hurricane. Yeah, this is Florida. <laughs> you may not see wind or air, but you feel the wind. You feel the power and the effects of the wind shaking things. You may not see what's going on, but you see the trees moving. You feel the power of the wind. In that room, as people were worshiping, they felt the rushing wind, like earthquake, thundering, it was, they were wondering what's going on. Now, it's interesting that in the word for spirit, the spirit of God, in the Hebrew is ruach. I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying that correctly, but I have to like spit it out from my tongue. Ruach, or something to that effect. The word for spirit in the um, in the Greek is pneuma, where like pneumatic tools, pneuma, air. Yeah, that's, that's how I relate. <laughs> Both the Hebrew and the Greek word for spirit, spirit of God, means spirit, wind, air. It's kind of interesting. Both the Hebrew and the Greek notes the same wind. 
and all throughout the Bible, when God appeared to man on the earth, it was often in what we call storm theophany, where God comes in the storm. Appearance of God in the storm. So if you remember uh, the Israelites being led in the wilderness, it was a pillar of cloud by day. When God made a covenant with the Israelites in Exodus 19 at the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, what happened? The cloud engulfed the mountain. And they saw the lightning and they heard the word of God. When he made a covenant, when he appeared to the Israelites, the people of God, he came in a storm, storm theophany. Now here's something interesting. In Genesis 3.8, remember this is the creation account. When God walked with Adam and Eve. And let me say this. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, have you guys ever wondered what that cool of the day means? Like, what does that mean? It's not an expression that we often use. But that word cool is ruach, spirit, wind. You know, the translators have tried to change that to say he came in the wind or he came in the spirit. But because, like NIV, they wanted consensus of all denominations for the unity of the body. So if any denomination could not agree to it, say let's keep the traditional translations. And what that was was cool of the day. So they just kept it in. But that word, rock, spirit, is the cool of the day. Meaning, God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the breath, in the wind, in the spirit. Why? Because God is spirit. God is spirit. And how we see the spirit is wind and power. What does that all mean? You may not be able to see God, but you see his effects. You see his power. You see his movements. You see his fingerprints if you're mindful and being aware. God is everywhere. God is the ever-present God. He is everywhere. He is the air, the wind, that he moves in power. We may not see him face to face, but he is the spirit. Now, when God's people were praying, a rushing wind of God, the spirit of God, comes and fills the entire house. And two things happen. One, they, they said that some divided tongues of fire showed up and rested on each person. I don't know what that may look like. There's a lot of pictures where the fire, I don't know, it looked like little bulbs on people. Bad pictures, right? <laughs> or, two, as people were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in other languages. So here's what happened. So in the feast... Imagine Christmas or Thanksgiving. It's a major holiday, and Jews from all over, diaspora Jews, are coming and making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they come, and they're hearing their own language being spoken in Jerusalem. And they were like, how is this happening? And, and so they're like, oh, a lot of noise. They're like, they must be drunk. And they were like, you know, trying to make sense. But they noticed that the people who were speaking their own language were the Galileans. Now, Galileans did not exactly have a reputation for, you know, international students. <laughs> the academia. They, didn't, they weren't learners. They were fishermen of the region. They were known for fishermen. And so they were questioning, were they, the Galileans? I, I don't understand. And so they 
trying to make joke of it. And that's when Peter came up and began to preach, explaining of what was happening. And he preached in Acts 2.17, and he said, this was the fulfillment of God's promise in Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on, that, on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show you wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. I want you to note, God made these promises to Joel at least four or five hundred years before. We don't know the exact date, but it's minimum four or five hundred years before. And when they saw or heard Joel speak those words, they were like, I don't understand. I want you to understand. Why? Because in the ancient times, in the Old Covenant, only people who prophesied were those who were anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now there were prophets, priests, and kings. Upper echelon of society, revered, positioned. Did they say male and servants and female servants will prophesy? I don't understand. God was going to do something new. Deborah was a prophet in the old, and I don't know how people still think prophets should not speak in public or whatever it is. That's another subject for Caleb to teach on. <laughs> he does that well. But the promise of the prophecy in Joel that was being fulfilled that day on the Pentecost was saying, God promised that people didn't understand it, but that's happening today. Male and female, doesn't matter of the position, all men, Jews and Gentiles, were prophesying, speaking of God's word. You know, we get uncomfortable when things we don't understand happens. Amen. We get uncomfortable when we don't know what we don't know. And somebody tells us that they know, and we're like, mm, I don't know, but I'm uncomfortable, so I'm not going to agree with you, but I'm going to be uncomfortable. The words 2,000 years ago is still relevant today. It's interesting that Pentecost happened. God changed everything about the church. But for some reason in the church today, they look at this text and say, oh, that was for ancient time. That happened back then. It doesn't happen today. You guys heard that? Have you been in church that taught that? Oh, yeah. I can tell you that that was the majority teaching for hundreds, if not over a thousand years. There are some theologians who put a fancy word to, of this theological position called cessationism that God has ceased after the 4th century. And this is what they're teaching. And I want you to know, I, I studied it. They said that, and, and they take from 1 Corinthians, and I can tell you, and, and love to talk to you about it. But they will say, when God gave us the perfect canon of the scripture, the word, 
when the perfect comes, all these other things will cease. It was necessary for the Holy Spirit to work in the first century, first 300 years when Christians were persecuted and it was new, new religion, right? That's what they say. God was needed then, then after fourth century we got the Bible. He's not needed anymore. That's exactly what they teach. And the church bought it. This, they didn't see the signs and the wonders. They didn't see the miracles. They didn't see people speaking in tongues. They say, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. So they made a theology and started teaching on it. They failed to recognize that God said, if you sin, I'm not going to be with you. And if you study church history, there were some ugly things in the church that led to the Reformation. And even then, there was a lot of changes. Yet, the church kept teaching this, held to this position that God's Holy Spirit did not work. But I, I want us to come back. What happened in that moment was something supernatural. It was not the logical. It was a supernatural. When God's Holy Spirit came, all that they knew about prophecies or God's Holy Spirit was on certain offices, and all of a sudden, everybody, men and women, are anointed, and they're prophesying, they're speaking. In boldness, Galileans, fishermen, are preaching the word. And these educated Pharisees are like, who are these guys? They didn't come from my seminary. When the people heard this message by Peter, it says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. I love that expression. What does your, what does it feel if your heart feels cut, ripped? You're moved. There's a conviction there that's happening by God himself that's saying, you need to listen. And they asked, what shall we do? What shall we do? And this is what Peter said in Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your, for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They asked, what shall we do? He says, repent. Interesting. The word repent is shuv in the Hebrew, which means if you're going one direction, you're doing 180 degrees back. Okay? It's to turn around. Whatever you were going, what you were doing, where you were going, turn back to God. That's repent. Greek, repent, is metanoia. Interesting, completely different. And I know in the church, we have always taught shuv to turn around. Metanoia means to change your mind. It's about the mind. To repent in the Greek is to say, if you change your mind, you will change the way you think. You will change the way you live. It starts from the head of your understanding, of your belief, of your faith. And then your action will follow. That's metanoia. So when Peter said, repent. Forget all that you have known on all that you have believed. God is something, doing something brand new here. Repent, turn back to God, and receive 
the Holy Spirit. That was the promise. He did not say the Holy Spirit is given only to the mature, only to the super Christians. He did not say Holy Spirit is only given to those who tithe really well, only to the men or only to the women. It didn't matter, young and old, even servants, though the lowly. God says, I value everyone, and I will pour out my spirit on all my sons and daughters, young and old. All. All means all. Did you guys know that? Yeah, English. I'm learning. All means all. I know that there are some, some of us, and I used to believe it, some of these gifts of the Holy Spirit is for the super Christians. Maybe the pastors, the apostles, the missionaries, but not for me. I, I believe the lie. That's a lie. And I want you to know that's a lie. If you have ever said that about your, you know, others get it but not me, and you justify reasons for that, that's a lie of the devil. Repent. Change your thinking. Because God wants all to receive his Holy Spirit. You know, over the past decades, I've had, gosh, I can't remember the number of conversations I've had with people who made those excuses. It's for the super Christians. I'm not good enough. It's my sin, right? Or it doesn't happen anymore. Why do we even need it? You ever heard that? I can't count how many people I have talked to. It says, why do we even need it? You don't know what you don't know. So why do you even need it? It's a gift. Have you guys ever received, uh, let me ask, who likes Christmas because you like to receive gifts? Yeah. Yeah. Kids are really honest about this. We teach them, oh, it's better to, better to give than to receive. But we like to receive. Right? Okay. Now, how many of you guys in Christmas loved receiving what you needed? <laughs> well, there's some practical people, but really, we like gifts that we want, not what we need. My wife is very practical. She likes to wrap everything and say, my kids will think she gets a lot of gifts, like socks and sweaters and all those things. But come on, when did you, like, get excited for receiving socks in a, like, wrapped up? You're like, this is it? Are you serious? When I think of Christmas gifts that, when I think of gifts that I want to give, I think of cash. <laughs> we know what moves her heart. <laughs> we, I imagine the gifts that I'm thinking, what are they dreaming about? What are they talking about? What are they wishing about? What is the desires of the heart? Because when I hear my kids talk about something, I imagine when they open it, whoa. I imagine, and I get so excited that they're going to, they can't wait to open it because I want to do Christmas at Christmas Eve. Because I want to see them open it. You guys understand? Because of the heart. It's a, 
you want to give them, because as a gift giver, I want the gift recipient to run after me and hug me and say, thank you, Daddy. That's what I want. That's the gift giver's heart. Why would God give gifts to people who don't even want it? You ever consider that? If they say, oh, it's a gift that, do I even need it? But I don't want it. Why would God want to give to such people? You know, in Isaiah 44, 3, it says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon your offering and my blessing on your descendants. And the idea behind that is to those who need and want, those who are thirsty, I will pour out my spirit. And too many in the church say, I don't need it. No, I'm saying you should want it, though. If you know what you don't know, oh, my goodness, you would want it. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit completes what Jesus began. Jesus died on the cross, rose again. He reconciled us with God and then reconciled us with one another. He paid with his life this dividing line, this wall, the chasm that separated us to God. What Jesus did completed and restored that broken relationship. And within broken relationship with God, he restored our broken relationship with one another. The unity of the body, the, the Pentecost as the upper room, people were gathering together. That was a unity. There were brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus looked at him and goes, that's your mother. That's your brother. He brought unity, saying, you are my children. You are my family. Unity. And there's things that, like this morning was the most beautiful thing. And we will do it more. God's doing something where he's poured out his spirit and the churches are saying, yeah, we need unity. That's what God's doing. His spirit completes what Jesus began. That's what Jesus did, but Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, who's going to convict us of our sins, but at the same time enables and empowers us. It indwells in us to be able to do the very things that he's called us to do. And here's a beautiful story of the Holy Spirit. God who calls you to go isn't just with you, he's in you. He who has called you and sending you is empowering you. He who has called you to love and to forgive enables you to do it. Because you can't do some things in the Bible that God calls you to do in the flesh. How many of you guys have read the Bible and said, oh, I'm supposed to forgive that person? Impossible. The Holy Spirit enables you to do so. God calls you to love your enemy? Impossible. Because you, just as I say that, you know who you're hating. How do I love that person? Holy Spirit enables you. God calls you to do something and he says, oh, you can't do it. <laughs> no. He has given his Holy Spirit to enable you to do, to fulfill God's word. Holy Spirit completes what Jesus has begun. The problem is, 
we're uncomfortable with what we don't know. We don't ask for what we don't know, what maybe we are uncomfortable about. And maybe we come from church that says, I don't know. It wasn't taught. It wasn't ex- exercise. I, I don't know anybody who speaks in tongues. Maybe I heard one person and it freaked me out. What we don't know, we get uncomfortable. It's so new that we shun out the things that we don't know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, man without the spirit does not accept the things of, that comes from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man in the flesh will not understand the spiritual person in the spiritual walk and spiritual acts. They're spiritually discerned. But when we have humility and says, you know, I don't understand, but God, I want more. God does something where he shifts that's the attitude of repentance where when once we change our thinking and say, I don't know, but I want it, God uses that. Let me tell you a story because I, I, I do believe there are some people who, I know the resting place is spirit-filled and we exist for the lost to be found, found to be free and for peace to reign. And and the way we worship, I mean, maybe some of us have come where even raising of our hands, like, attracts stares, right? And so we're uncomfortable with maybe some of the things. I, I recognize that may be some of you. I tell you church history because church history is very interesting. There's patterns of human behavior that just gets repeated throughout history. And so, um, the cessationism, that bad theology, I say it's heresy, that has infiltrated the church for 1,600 years. It's been taught. It's still being taught. But in 1901, there was a group of Bible study students. They were getting together and they were studying God's word together and praying with one another, and that's the good thing, and that's what they're supposed to be doing, right? Uh, a guy named Charles Parham did a Bible study and challenged the students. They were going to go through the book of Acts and gave the homework assignments, and they read through our text today of Acts chapter 2 of the Pentecost and gave them an assignment. What do you think of God's work in today, God's assignment with the Holy Spirit? Is he still active or has he retired? What do you think? So the students pondered this question, took it to heart. Because remember, 1,900 years, the church believed God has retired. And so this one young lady, Agnes Osman, took that text and says, I think God's still active. I don't care what the church is saying, but I think the Bible is true yesterday, today, and forevermore. But God's word, you know, is truth. So she said, I want more of God. So she asked her other students to lay hands on her at 11 p.m. January 1st, 1901, to pray for the gift of the Spirit, and she began to speak in tongues. And one by one, the others also received. Now, Charles Parham, who was leading the Bible study, was a teacher. 
went from this Kansas area to Texas teaching, hey, Holy Spirit's active. We've been taught something wrong. And he's teaching this new teaching to Bible schools, Texas, California. And then in 1906 in Los Angeles, off of Azusa Street, this is maybe you heard, Azusa Street Revival, revival breaks out. And it wasn't just one day revival. It happened from 1906 to 1909 for three years. And they documented over 50,000 people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongue. And it gave birth to what we call Pentecostal movement, where it birthed assemblies of God and other churches who believe in the works of the Holy Spirit. And really, that's our, our stem of what we believe. And it started with one young lady that says, I think Bible's true. I don't care what the church is teaching. I don't care what the theologians are teaching. The Bible says this. Let me go back to Paul's promise. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Acts 2.38. Just leave that up there. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The key word is repent and receive. No contingency, no clause. Not your background, not your experience. Repent, change your mind, change your thinking. That's the only criteria. Repent. Be baptized and receive. If any of you have believed in the lie of the church, believed in the lie of your friends, or believed in the lie that you're not good enough, believed in the lie that it's for the super Christians, the missionaries, the teachers, but not me, repent. Change your thinking. Change your mind. God desires to give you a great gift if you want it, if you want him. This comes to the very same core of Caleb in, during our worship. Do you want more of God or are you satisfied where you are? Because hunger begets hunger. Want desires begets more want. And as a church, as the resting place, the Holy Spirit is at the very core of who we are. Because we say, the lost will be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign. Without the Holy Spirit, that's impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, it's very possible, and it will happen, and that's prophetic word for Wesley Chapel. Amen? So will you rise? Will you put your hand on your heart? Let's receive his word as a promise for you, individually you. Do you believe God wants to give you a good gift that will bless you and fulfill you and complete you, that enables you in power and in love to be able to fulfill the very words of God? Do you believe? If you say yes, Lift up your hand. 
said, Lord, release. Release more of you, more of your spirit. Lord, I see gifted sons and daughters. I see gifted brothers and sisters who are already filled in your spirit. But I say more, Lord. More, Lord. Release your greater manifestation of your spirit, your gifts, your power, your enablement, your confidence, your boldness, your empowerment, Lord. All that Jesus did. And he says, you would even do more. And he enabled the apostles and the early church and they're no better than us. Thank you, Lord. You value us. You call us as your sons and daughters. Made us in your image. And we receive your word as truth. And we receive your spirit. We receive. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.